Welcome to Four Quarter Lives. I'm Aviva Wittenberg-Cox, and I'm exploring how longer lives impact everything, from careers and relationships to the very shape of our lives. Truth is, you're likely to live a lot longer than you think. I talk with a wide range of experts and academics, as well as individuals designing and redesigning their own third quarters, the years from 50 to 75. Instead of recreation, they're thinking recreation. What can we learn from their pioneering roadmaps through life? Eduardo Chadwick from Chile is the president of his family's five-generation-old vineyard, which he took from bankruptcy to being recognized as one of the greatest winemakers in the world. A meteoric rise which climaxed in Berlin with an epic showdown with the old world elites from Italy and France. They were not amused. He has built not only his own brand and vintages, but contributed to the rise of the reputation of Chile's entire wine industry. Now he's turning his third quarter energies toward a different kind of maturation process, passing on the business and democracy in Chile to the next generation. Eduardo, welcome. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be with you today and to share with you my life. At least what I believe may be the defining path that I've gone through my life. Yes, and we're going to have to do it and squeeze, I know, what is an incredible amount of juice into a relatively short time. But I do want to start at the very beginning. So let's start where you were born, in what country, to what kind of a family, parents, and culture, and how did that perhaps influence what happened afterwards? I was born in Santiago, Chile back in 1959. I mean, we were four, so I had three brothers and sisters, one brother, two sisters. And my home, I would like to say, was perhaps following the the British tradition. My parents were a bit distant, and we were sent to... I mean, they were very warm and and very friendly, but somehow they were also very demanding, and we were expected to sort of bring up ourselves in the world. And also, perhaps, the school that most defined me was the Grange School. It's a school that where you played rugby, where you had to stand alone and make it happen. So you had to, at the end of the year, you had to raise the steeplechase, which was a several hurdles you had to run through. And at the end, you would sort of go jump into a mud pod um, place, and then you had to scramble out of it. And I think that kind of defines the spirit of going through life and trying to go through hurdles in the best way you can, and finally ending, <laughs> reaching the final place, the final line. So you learned how to scrum, fight, and jump over hoops. Is that what you're saying from the very earliest age? I think that that defines a bit what I see as a, uh, I mean, I was brought up and somehow something I enjoyed. Of course, it has some costs. I think I was rather shy when I was a small boy. And perhaps this required, my father, I remember, took me boxing lessons so I could fight and defend by myself. <laughs> you became a man. He wanted to make a man of you. <laughs> yeah, but in the old English style, I mean, like, not much, uh, how do you say, cuddling. You, have, you go out there. <laughs> yep, tough stuff. You were toughened up. So who were you by the end of your first quarter? Who had you become um, by 25? Well, I think by 25, you define your key traits as a young sort of adolescent. And uh, I had all these elements that had my personality. I guess I had some determination and I had some belief in what I could do. 
And I wanted to form a family. That was my big priority in my life. And then I also, I had just started to work in a project of a winery. I mean, like a startup, because Chile at the time in the wine business was just beginning to open to the rest of the world. So I was made charge or responsible for running our family winery, which was really taking it from a very small local base to the international market. So I started traveling around the world, opening my eyes to how the best chateaus of the world, like Lafitte, Margot, Latour, or other regions would do. So it was like seeing these great companies of the world and coming back to Chile, realizing that it was a long, long way to go for it. <laughs> Your family was in wine for generations, right? Even though it stayed relatively small or no? Yes, but Chile had, because of political reasons, we had several hiccups. And by the time I took responsibility of the family winery... How old were you when you did that? I was 22, 22. 23, 23, yep. And the family house had been closed, so I had to reopen it. It had gone bankrupt. So it was literally starting anew. And also creating a uh, company that before never existed, because Chile never exported any wine before. It was only sold in the domestic market. So this export opportunity or challenge was totally new for our country, not only for our family winery. So I can just see you at the conclusion of this first quarter with this huge steeplechase in front of you, having just toured the world, realized just how high the global standards are, and then going home and looking at your own little organization that had never gone abroad and wondering, how do I get from here? To there. Absolutely. That was a challenge. And <laughs> so, so it sounds like that was your, your Q2 challenge. But it, tell me about Q2. What did you do? What did you accomplish in the next 25 years up to 50? Yeah. Well, I got married at age 28 and then formed a family of four daughters and two boys with also several challenges on the personal side that I had to overcome and resist was more difficult for my wife because we, as you know, we had the death of two children. So we had yes, to you lost go both along your, with it. Both, yes, you lost both yeah. your sons very, very yeah. sadly. Yeah. So it was a big destiny hurdle that we, but I have four marvelous daughters that I really thank every day for them because they're really my stars. And then on the wines, we had a, well, we had to really do everything from scratch. And we had in between earthquakes, fires, droughts. I mean, agriculture businesses always have <laughs> many challenges. My father died when he was, I was age 32. So it was a big thing on my shoulders. And we had, I think it was the time to demonstrate resilience, to demonstrate strength of character, to stay ahead, and also to face many failures. Building a brand or a country brand internationally is not an easy task. You have to confront many, many gatekeepers that don't believe in you or don't have any interest in you succeeding or creating a new brand. Were the biggest challenges at home in Chile or abroad internationally? I would say both. On one side, you have to do a product or plant the right vineyards, have the right team. At the time, in the early days, Chilean winemakers had very little knowledge. So it's sending people to train, to study abroad, and then to come back. So conforming an international team first. And then... You never know with agriculture, although you may have all the right, the expected right decisions, the final product will come quite a few years later. And then you had to convince the audience and convince the critics. And that has been, I would say, 
even a more difficult challenge than creating a product of quality. Sort of convincing the audience, changing perceptions. I think I have devoted more time to that purpose. So give us give us an idea. How long did it take to get the product and the wine to the level that you wanted? And then how long did it take you to fix and adjust the perception of Chilean wine generally and your own product more specifically on the international market? I would say the first 20 years were devoted to more to the product, to really making things happen, expanding our vineyards, planting the different terroirs from 1985 through 2000. So 15 years of really working, establishing our vineyard base, our winery, stirring up, having the right team, getting everything prepared, doing the joint venture with the Rombo Mondavi to create Senya. It was perhaps 15 years of working inside. And then from 2000 onwards up until today, it's been more the challenge to convince the audience to communicate the quality we have to creating events that would convince the audience like the judgment of Berlin. Tell us more about the judgment of Berlin. Do you see that as the climax of your story? I think it was the point of inflection where there was no return because you created John Venture with the most famous winemaker of the world, Bob Mondavi, and we had a beautiful product. And then we realized that that was not enough to convince the audience we had to create an event that by destiny, so when did you do the joint venture with Robert Mondavi? And then when did you organize the event we, in we, Berlin? We created the joint venture back in 1995. And nine years later, in January of 2004, we created the Judgment of Berlin, the Berlin Tasting, in which we presented the best wines of Bordeaux, Margola too, the best wines of Italy, the Kaiserite, you know, the, the classics, and our wines, Vignero Chadwick, Senia, and Don Maximiano, in a blind tasting in which we invited the key, the top, wine writers of the world, to judge without label, what we call a blind tasting. And I wanted to prove that our wines should be considered in the company of these great wines of the world. And by, to everyone's surprise, and to my big surprise, I was the most surprised perhaps of all, our wines came in first and second place. And in third came Lafitte, uh, 2000, which had been rated 100 points by the, this renowned Parker critic. So that opened the eyes to the world critics. And then perhaps to really cement a solid base. What was the reaction? Again, I'm just curious. I mean, a monumental about face, a surprise. What was the reaction in Chile and internationally to that famous... Big silence. Big (laughs) silence. (laughs) First, astonishment. And then, of course, we had many top sort of press page articles. All the people that attended did good articles. But the reality is that your news is like, fireworks in the moment, but then a month later, there's other news happening around the world. So I realized that to make it something that would really help cement the knowledge and understanding for Chilean-wise, I had to keep on doing it in the key capitals of the world with the local people. So that's how I did it for 22 different times over the next 10 years from 2004 through 2013, reaching out to more than 2,000 key industry leaders and therefore cementing the understanding and the, the knowledge. And when I repeated these tastings, in more than 90% of the times, we had one or two of our wines in the top three. So the result was very consistent. And always having Steven Sparrier as the host gave this event tremendous credibility. So we always had the best people, the best wine writers, wine critics, masters of wine, and best wines of Bevit. So it was an event that was impeccable from a 
quality standpoint. And he was really very humble at the same time, asking the opinion from the floor. So I think that that helped, and that finally was recognized. Critics started coming to Chile, and James Suckling and other people started giving 100 points to our wine, which was totally, I mean, it never happened before in the history. So we had vintage 2014 for Vinero Chadwick, it was the first 100-pointer for Chile. It was also declared the legend by Di Canto. And then Senya also got 100 points the year after, 2015. And I would say that the climax of my career, I was very humbled, very, very honored to be named the Canton Man of the Year in 2018. And that's really, if you look back, the other people that have been named is the people that have helped their industries to really gain recognition, such as Baron Philippe de Rothschild, such as Bob Mondavi, such as Aubert de Vilaine from DRC in Burgundy, Tinori from Italy. I mean, this is a, an award that has been given to people in recognition for what they have done to raise the relevance or the awareness of the regions of origin. So I think this is an award that I, I humbly received in, in honor for Chile. I mean, there's nothing higher than I can achieve in a wine industry. So I was really very happy, very humbled. And it's something that also recognizes that Chile as a country, as an appellation, it enters into this Hall of Fame. Absolutely. And it must have lifted an awful lot of boats yeah. along with yours. And since then, we are, our wines are sold in La Place de Bordeaux. They are reaching the most prestigious places, the top restaurants. It's still, as you would imagine, this is a, it's a long race. And I hope my daughters will continue the race. It takes time. Napa has been built over the past 50 years. Regions of the world need to have more. But I'm very happy, very, I think we have opened the window, we have opened the door, and now we need to be consistent to continue. But I think the big barriers have been lifted. I love your wine because it seems to be such a perfect metaphor for life, right? The maturing of the grapes and how it takes so much time. And it sounds very much like your Q2 was built in proving and building quality. And your Q3 was really about achieving recognition and repetition that you had to repeat yeah. all over yeah. the world, over and over and over again. So what? imagine what you need to do to educate 1.4 billion Chinese uh, <laughs> consumers. <laughs> well, you have to use social media, WeChat and many other things uh, to really help yourself. Yeah. So what did you... What brought you to ALI? I mean, after all of these extraordinary stories, ups and downs, and then climaxes of the ultimate recognition in your sector, in your area, for your country, why school? <laughs> why Harvard? Well, I think one of the problems or the reality is that when you are working and you are in charge, you are in a treadmill. It's like running and running on the daily basis. And I felt that I needed more strategic time for myself and to also prepare the succession at the winery and prepare a team. So it's stepping out of the treadmill and to really plan and have a more strategic use of my time. That was part of it. And secondly, most importantly, part of the strategic planning is to give back. The time to give back, not only in planning succession and the team, but also in other areas of life. So I think I have been very privileged and there are many bigger problems that my country faces and the world faces. And I think ALI gives a wonderful opportunity to focus, to concentrate and to work on a social project that is, uh, in my case, I want to work on the mind, seeing how I can 
tried to improve the life of the, the most uh, and the privileged minors in Chile. The children in Chile, okay, because they're also the minors as a sector. Yeah, okay, I'm just oh, checking. Oh, sorry, yeah, the children, yeah. Okay, so tell me a little bit, how has, we're halfway through this Harvard ALI adventure, what's been the impact, and do you want to share a little bit of where you are on this transition that you've come for, handing on and giving back? Well, in the beginning, the Driving here in the middle of winter time with a meter of snow alone <laughs> was tough. And also without knowing the group. And it was also immersing back into studying, into different canvas and different courses. The style of, I mean, as an engineer, you do the opposite of what you're taught here. You solve problems which are useless. Uh, here, I mean, this uh, case uh, study work way of doing it is something that uh, I have enjoyed tremendously, but I, it has also taking me out of my comfort zone. So I've been learning and understanding. I mean, I'm preparing the class. At the beginning, it was, I felt I had difficulty in catching up, in being full, in really being able to enjoy. And I think that that came around February. And then also getting to know most of our ALI group. At the beginning, I was perhaps a little bit passive or I was just not proactive enough. And then over the past, May, April, I would say, I really started to proactively engage. And that has been a big difference because I came to really know most of our cohort team. And it's an amazing group of people. I have learned tremendously. And I there's so many understanding the life of all of our group. It's a really wonderful model, sort of life model example. So it's inspirational. And I have inspired myself tremendously while I've been thinking about my own project. And the more when people ask you, what are you doing? And the more you repeat it, the more it becomes your project. Because in the beginning, it's kind of a, well, what shall I do? And now I have a very clear, at least willingness to embark on a project that seems to me very much ALI project, because it's a big project. <laughs> and a bit daunted with the scope of this project. But at the same time, why not? I mean, why not embark on a big project and give the best of myself? That certainly it? seems like one of the themes that we've all gotten here is why not dream big, much bigger than we were perhaps thinking when we got here. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think it gives us the courage and some, of course, some tools, perhaps. I mean, I have to look back into my books, <laughs> but at least, you know, I mean, I think first is the courage and the self-confidence, and also the resources, because you have so many professors, so many cohorts that can help, so many ideas, so many, I mean, so many, I mean, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We just need to understand a problem and then see where in the world we can find the best support to it. And I think it will be a surprise to so many listeners to hear that people like you might need courage to do a project, right? When they see many of these ALI people as having been uber accomplished already. And yet it's true when you try and switch to something completely new and different, you may need a lot more encouragement than people think. Yeah, it's uh, definitely a systemic problem. At least uh, this problem that we have has been generationally. No government has been able to really tackle it properly. Because so can you share a bit, what, what is it that you're thinking of attacking and what is it that you're thinking of developing as a solution? I can respond more to the first part of your question. For the second, I need to do a deep dive going back to Chile. But the first part is that many countries have uh, problems in uh, 
education, in health, in uh, sort of pensions, in many areas of society. But they all have their own ambassador people that fight for them because they are groups of interest. The most abandoned part of our society are the children from ages 2 and to 15. And there's a government body called Tsunami that's supposed to look after them. But the reality is that they are always underfunded, ill-prepared, and they are today the source of many, many problems. They don't have the right uh, education and they're normally coming out and either they, they fall into drugs or they go into robbing. Or I mean, it's very sad that this is it's like a jail of youngsters that are not being prepared. No one is looking after them with care, with love, with education. And so it's really a very sad story that needs to be resolved. And given that they don't have any ambassador fighting for them, it's perhaps the least priority for any government so far. And that's how it has just gone over the years without much solution. It's always a news, scandal news about abuses that happen in this school. So a focus on children. Can I ask you one of these classic ALI questions that we had to answer almost the first month that we were here? So why you? Well, I think I have a personal sensibility to children, given that I had two children that died. And that gives you a very, a very special sensibility. And it's a project that I know, I believe, is the worst reality of our society and the most abandoned. So I think I would try my heart to try to help, to try to prove, to support it. I'm not a politician. Politics are a different area. And I'm more a doer. And I hope to be able to contribute to this course. So can I ask you how old you are, Eduardo? And what might be a, your dream for the rest of your third quarter on this project or any other project? Where do you want well, to get I'm, to by the end of Q3? I'm 63. And I would love to organize, I mean, to be able to solidify this project for the most undeserved children of Chile. I would like to also see that my family and my team will consolidate the companies or the industries where we work in the wine industry. I have two daughters working with me. I mean, I would love to consolidate a happy family or a family that is keeps together with sort of love and care. And also, I would love to work on a political side more into trying to see that democracy and liberty is a value that is profound in Chile. So I'm also part of a thing that is going to be defending the values of democracy and political freedom in Chile. Today, there's a debate between left-wing or right-wing, and I think the country needs to define a model of society that can bring stability, wealth, and growth to our country. Chile has been an example of development and a perhaps a neoliberal system, and perhaps it's time to change the system and to become more social-driven. But the many challenges and many discussions that are happening nowadays, and we want to see that that pathway goes in the right direction. So that's also a my second ALI project that I would like to see how I can participate in giving a, uh, a light or a perspective on how the country, or what are the values that we should all pursue and defend in terms of how our society is organized. So democracy, winery, family, and children. Those are big pillars for your third quarter. 
Congratulations. That sounds like quite a project. Now, I can't resist just because there is a fourth quarter to our hundred year life. When you've done all of these things and you have built the family, stabilized the democracy, handed on the business, what do you dream of for your Q4? Do you think about Q4 at all? Do you plan that phase of life as well? Actually speaking, I haven't. (laughs) The first time that you're posing this question is the first time I think about it. Perhaps, I mean, we need to know whether we will reach this stage in good health, with the body in good condition, and uh, with our mind in good shape. And if that is the case, which, I mean, of course, would be a privilege, I would like to perhaps uh, be wiser and to have more and more time to enjoy family and a peaceful country. Absolutely. So if I ask you to just look back and give me eventually a metaphor of each of these quarters... Can you imagine how you, from where you are sitting today, how do you look backwards on these big phases of your life? Well, perhaps the first 25 years is the steeplechase, learning and and trying to get. The second, I would say, would be Chariots of Fire. I love the music. I love the movie. How do you train and resilience and you have to go for it? And the third, good question. I think it's more something more in balance, something more in strategic. Star Trek, perhaps. <laughs> Why Star Trek? <laughs> I mean, how do you scale it? How do you scale? How do you scale projects? it? Absolutely. Yep. Strategically, uh-huh. fantastic. I love on it. a strategic standpoint. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. I think those are fantastic metaphors. <laughs> Steeples taste, chariots of fire, all the way to Star Trek. I couldn't think of a better way to conclude this conversation, Eduardo. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your quarters and good luck on your next Q goals. It sounds very imposing and I think chilly and many of us will be able to drink to your good health and success. Thank you so much, Elio. You know, this is wonderful because you made me think about these issues that I... (laughs) So I just think to myself, did I... Yeah, this came out as a very unprepared issues, but it's wonderful to have your insights and you make me think. And it's, of course, very important. So thank you so much. Thank you particularly also for your homey get-togethers. They are going to be very important in my life. I'm delighted to hear it. And I think, yeah, I think the exchanges during the program, but I also think that very few of us have asked these questions. And that's a little bit what this podcast is for is what Mm -hmm. if you did step back and think of the big quarters and what we were thinking and accomplishing and experiencing in each of them, would that help us prepare them better? So thank you for your time and input. You're an inspiration Mm -hmm. and I'm sure our listeners will love it. Not only that, but they may also want to drink your wines. Will you just share a website or a place where they can find your extraordinary 100-point Sena wine if they'd like to have a tasteful accompaniment to this podcast? Of course, it's www.senia.cl or senia.com. So then you will have all the information. Fantastic. Thank you. And that's spelt for my Anglophone listeners, S-E-N-A, Senya. Correct. Without uh-huh. the Chilean accent. Eduardo, to your good health. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining this conversation about Four Quarter Lives, where we're designing lives that don't just get longer, but better. 
For more, you can follow my columns at Forbes or read my own account of a year back at school at Harvard in my newsletter on Substack called Elderberries. <laughs>